It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland for today's LaneCast. Hello everyone and welcome back to more agriculture conversations on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to be with you here today, our first show of 2023. Sorry for the delay. It has just been so dang busy over the past few weeks traveling to multiple conventions and just taking care of things out here on the home place. But today's show is going to be a little different than episodes in the past. We're actually going to be having a conversation with a Navy SEAL turned rancher, our friend Greg Putnam with the Little Belt Cattle Company. We're going to actually be sharing audio from a cooking segment that Greg, my fellow broadcast partner, Russell Nimitz, and myself conducted just a few weeks ago in the kitchen here at my house. We're going to be cooking up some Mishima Reserve American Wagyu beef steaks. And Greg is going to share his story of finding himself as a first-generation rancher here in Montana and talks about his time in the armed services. But we're also going to talk about profitability in the livestock sector. Greg will talk about why he takes his first calf Angus heifers and breeds them to Wagyu bulls from Mishima Reserve. It's going to be a great conversation with Greg Putnam, Navy SEAL turned rancher, Russell Nimitz, and myself coming up next. When it comes to the beef business, there's no room for gray area. The decisions being made in Washington affect the future of the beef industry, the livelihood of your fellow farmers and ranchers. Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows there's what benefits cattlemen and there's what doesn't. Visit ncba.org to learn more. And today finds us in our test kitchen, we could call it, or, <laughs> right. or just my kitchen at home, just east of Great Falls, Montana. But during the Montana Pro Rodeo Circuit Finals, our friends at Mishima Reserve proudly brought our coverage, proudly brought you our coverage from this year's event. And they also sent us some great product. And uh, uh, Greg, you join us here today. Little Belt Cattle Company is the ranch operation just on the other side of the Little Belt. Yes. We're on the north side here today. But uh, Greg, let's talk about Mishima Reserve, American Wagyu. What, what consists of American Wagyu with the Mishima product? Yeah, so we started producing uh, cattle for Mishima Reserve about three years ago, and we started breeding those Wagyu bulls to our heifers, and that is really our heifer program, and how we take our Angus heifers and expose them to those Wagyu bulls and get a really great calf product and also set that heifer up to come into our herd and into our Angus program. And I really feel like that program sets that, that heifer up for success to stay in the herd. And we've just had a great uh, relationship with them. It's been a great working experience. And I really love the product. And I think that the Wagyu program for us really complements our Angus program and really allows us to kind of take that, that really quality Angus you know, foundation that we've built and almost diversify it a little bit and just kind of open up a whole nother area that we can market those calves. But also, I think from a performance perspective, it really does great um, for us as our, as our heifer development program. You know, maybe tell our viewers a little bit about yourself too, because um, you had another career before you became involved with the cattle industry. Sure, so I, uh, I was a US Navy SEAL for um, just about 10 years and worked at a number of different commands throughout Naval Special Warfare and just 
had an amazing opportunity um, and, and really just a great career um, there. And, you know, we, we did that, like I said, for about 10 years. And then my wife and I, we had had three kids in the process and, um, and just kind of were looking at, you know, are we going to continue with this? Or we really wanted to get back to Montana. We really wanted to raise our family here. And, you know, production agriculture was not something that was ultimately kind of brought up when I got out of the military and was something I came into kind of just through friends that um, were in the industry. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, almost struggle to find that next thing. And you come out of this really kind of high intensity, very purpose driven career path that you spend. I mean, I remember being a little kid and wanting to be a Navy SEAL and then you do it. And then when that, you know, when that career path kind of, you know, you go, where, where do I go next? And a lot of folks getting out of the military kind of struggle with finding that next right fit. And fortunately for me, not right out of the gate, but not too far after and with the you know, help of a lot of great mentors and friends. Um, really, when I started doing, um, working in ranching, I, I really kind of found that right, you know, felt like I found the right puzzle piece again. And um, it's something we've really encouraged more veterans to look at. And we've hosted a lot of veteran internships. We work with MSU. Um, trying to find kind of the pathway that people can get into this. And I remember when I got out, you know, people would say, oh, you should look at finance or tech. And I, I don't want to do either of those. Those sound terrible. <laughs> and they were. And I wish somebody had said, you know, this agriculture, it's, it's such a great, there's so many parallels between agriculture and the military. And I truly believe that the food system in America is a national security you know, component, and it's a system that we all rely upon, just like we all rely upon the, you know, security of our U.S. military. We also rely upon our farm and ranchers to produce food into that system. And I'm it's just something that, again, I, I, that purpose, and really feel like you're doing something that impacts the greater good. Um, and and again, there's a very low percentage of people, just like in the military, that are in farm and ranching that provide this amazing opportunity really for everybody. And it's something I'm just super proud um, to be part of. And, and our partnerships with Mishima and our Angus partnerships, um, you know, really allow us to do that and, and really make a great career um, out of it. And something I would really encourage a lot of other veterans to look at. It, what, what was that like, though, taking those skill sets and that critical thinking that you developed over the, the years in the military and comparing that to having an operation uh, just on the other side of where we're at here on the south side of Little Belt Mountains, when, when you're looking at planning, rotational uh, grazing, uh, let's just walk through that and just the education process that uh, that has gone through that too, because it can be a little intimidating stepping in as a first generation <laughs> rancher. Let's just talk about that uh, that that learning process as well. Sure. Um, you know, that learning process, I think it is. I mean, the barrier of entry is to come into agriculture where you you haven't been doing it your whole life and you haven't had that pass down, it's a, it's a huge challenge. And it's funny, I think more people said to me when I started you know, admitting like, hey, this is what I really wanna do. I was like, that's never gonna work. And more people probably told me that than people told me that's not gonna work going into the SEAL teams. And you know, I'll be the first <laughs> to admit, everybody thinks that every Navy SEAL is you know, 6'5", 220 pounds. And here I was, you know, I was like 5'7", 165 pounds. Like I could play sports and stuff. I was not an Olympic athlete by any means. And you start telling people, yeah, I want to do this thing with this very, you know, high attrition rate. It's, it's always the people though, who have never done it themselves. 
And I remember my brother uh, had a friend who was actually a Navy SEAL. And I remember I called him up and I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, oh, you can totally do it. And I remember the first people that encouraged me to, you know, when I first started to say is, how could I actually get into this and start a career in this space? And, you know, thank, you know, luckily for me, uh, my business partner and friend and, and SEAL team brother, Tim Sheehy, um, you know, we were able to, to, you know, put this thing together. And I think probably the biggest thing is that you learn in SEAL selection training is that there's going to be setbacks. I mean, they will find the one thing. If you can do 100 push-ups, they'll make you do 101. If you can do 1,000, you'll do 1,001. And you get good at being able to maneuver, I just say, challenges. And they really find those people that don't allow setbacks to stop them. And I'd say, you know, Tim and all the different businesses he's done and us in this business, we, we just we looked at it as a challenge. We looked at finding the right mentors, no different than in the military. We go, I want to be like that guy. And when you show up, I mean, we joke. And um, when you show up to the SEAL teams after two years of training, they let you know immediately that you're the least trained Navy SEAL on the face of the earth, according to the guys who've been doing it for a long time. And you're, you know, affectionately referred to as an FNG. I think everybody can figure out what the F means. Uh, the NG is new guy. And we kind of approached it. And I approached this, um, you know, getting into agriculture is the same way. And, you know, when you're a new guy, you, you generally have the foundation to be successful, but you really have to leave kind of your ego at the door. And I know, I mean, I will, I will ride up to guys at a branding and be like, can you watch me rope and tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can look like you? And they'll usually go, yeah, you need to do this and this. They've already been paying attention. And, and you know, just like being, and I've told this to people before, I mean, is there no worse feeling than when you show up to something with like brand new clothes and gear yeah. and you stand out as the new guy <laughs> and you think, oh, nobody's going to notice. And the minute that people have been doing it, you know, that are professionals have been doing it, they can look at you and go, but if you really want to learn, the amount of people that will actually help you. And, you know, our partnership with Stovall Ranches and yep. Turk Stovall, you know, again, there were so many people that were so encouraging. And there was also a lot of people that were discouraging. But just like the SEAL teams, a lot of those folks were people that had actually never done it themselves and ultimately didn't have the courage to try and didn't have, you know, whatever that is to say, hey, this is something I really want to do what is that path forward in, in figuring it out? And I'll say there wasn't a lot of instruction for if it was like, hey, you came out of the military, I want to go in this direction. How do you do it? And that's kind of what we're trying to do now with, with really saying like, hey, this is the system that you know has worked for us. And just like anything, it's hard work and it's the desire to learn and it's the desire to say like, hey, I really want to do this. And you can't, this is the same thing as the military, you know, and if people want to aspire to be into, you know, special operations, it can't be because you want to tell people that's what you want to do. It can't be because you want to tell girls at the bar that, you know, you're a Navy SEAL. And it can't be because you can't go into production agriculture because, you know, you want to dress like a cowboy or wear the hat. You really have to want to do that. And I remember like my desire when I joined the Navy was I really wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Not because I cared if anybody knew that's what I did, but I really wanted to do that job at that level. And it's I feel very much the same about this. Well, thankfully, Greg, that rest assured, both Lane and I were once upon a time 
FNGs ourselves. <laughs> sure. So, and, and we've miraculously yeah. survived this farm broadcasting industry to be right here in this kitchen with you and, and just an incredible opportunity. So with that all said then, I mean, tell us how you got involved with Mishima and what sort of opportunities, I guess, exist for cattle producers near and far. Sure. So when we um, got Little Belt Cattle Company started up in 2020, and we were really just looking at, you know, starting a new program, really. And, and you know, one nice thing, I guess, is that we had the opportunity to look at all these just amazing, you know, legacy ranches and what they were doing and what they were doing well and really kind of cherry pick what we wanted to do ourselves. And so Stovall Ranches had been producing for Mishima. Um, as we started building that Angus program, we really started to kind of look at you know, and, and really through their recommendation of what they had been doing. And here was, you know, pretty hardcore Angus folks mm -hmm. that were kind of exploring this new, you know, market really. And it's a market I think that's grown a lot. Um, I think it's, it's a market that there's a lot of desire for. And in that kind of American market in American space, there's, there's pretty big, you know, kind of players now. And just so as we looked at how we were going to really build out this kind of, in my opinion, as well-rounded as a program as we could. Um, the, the Wagyu thing really fit. And, you know, for us, it really wasn't changing anything. It was just kind of starting and trying something. And it really just just worked right. Now, let's talk about, uh, obviously, this is a crossbred product that uh, we're, we're talking with your operation, the Angus component of it, uh, bred to Wagyu bulls. Uh, and that's what Mishima Reserve uh, really helps producers line up, providing the, the bull or the semen, and then you provide those cows, and then they have a premium buyback program. And that's what we're all about in the cattle business. We, we got to pay our bills. And uh, I know you're not standing here advocating like, you got to go full Wagyu. This is just one of those diversification tools that you have in not only with your fence employers, but more in that looking further ahead to sure. how do we stay profitable? Exactly. And I think you look at in a lot of other business, you know, or if you talk to a, you know, a financial advisor or something, they say, oh, you need to diversify your, you know, whatever you're doing. And I think for us, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a little bit of diversification within the markets that you can play in. Again, I think it it's for I feel very much that it's enhancing to our Angus program and foundationally that that Angus genetic line and and really trying to build a cattle herd that is, you know, I'm gonna call it kind of performance minded on on what is what are those carcasses grading at, the combination of the two and really utilizing, you know, those heifers with those bulls to set them up for success. And I love the fact that you don't have to go into this thing all in and say, oh, you know, we're, we're making this total change. You know, you can do it in a way and they've set it up in a way where you can either, you can AI those, you know, you can, you know, you can lease bulls, you can work towards buying bulls. And that's what we did. We didn't own any bulls um, until last year um, after we kind of tested the program. And I think the premiums, um, are there. And I think the product is really there. And I think the demand for this product. Um, and again, I really, I think it's great because they have a great kind of distribution and a program that allows us as producers to come into that. But they also really appreciate the producers. And as more customers want to know not only where their food is coming from, but who it's coming from, the producers, I feel like that they've brought in there's a real partnership there and they've been great to work with on, you know, there's never a, a question on how we're going to be able to move those calves. 
and they're very, very supportive as a program to the producers. And you definitely feel like it's a partnership more than just you figuring it out on your own. That is uh, some very good news for producers because a lot of times they are. I mean, we've only learned what we learned from our dad and our grandfather <laughs> and his grandfather. And, you know, before we know it, we're four or five, six generations yep. deep in this industry or maybe first or second in your case. And we've never really learned how to adapt to change. And the hardest thing or is... opportunity. <laughs> yeah, and if could dad, be sitting right yeah, in front of us. If dad and grandpa have done it for 100 years and now you're at the helm and you're running the ship... Do you really want to make a change that may or may not work? <laughs> what I like about this is that it allows you to kind of test it. You, you could you could run your heifers on this for one year and say, ah, this didn't work for me. And you're right back into your Angus program. And, you know, the one thing from a production standpoint is, you know, we, we sell all of our, you know, our cross heifers and steers and, you know, so, so you're still keeping 100% pure genetic cow herd. And what we basically do is take, you know, our two coming three-year-olds and we breed them back into our Angus program. And it just really works well as kind of just this complementary um, element. But I think it's, it's hard to make those changes. And what I really like about this is that you're not jeopardizing you know, you're, you're not having to spend dollars that you basically wouldn't spend anyway. And it gives you just a really, you know, just a little bit different way to, you know, and you could utilize that, I guess, more throughout your cow herd. Like I said, we run it with our heifer program and our kind of our heifer development. And that's what we found that to be kind of that sweet spot. And, and Greg, you know, we probably have a lot of producers out there thinking, you know what, uh, that crossbred calf is going to be probably a little smaller than a traditional uh, uh, Angus uh, calf that comes out and, and, and is marketed. So uh, let's just talk about that marketing aspect of it with Mishima coming and buying those calves, getting them finished, and then, of course, coming to this uh, really, really good-looking uh, packaging and that marbling. I, I I really want to get to cooking this because it looks so good. But can you walk us through that too? Because I know that's probably a question that a lot of our producers are asking. Like, obviously it will be a lighter calf than if we're just weaning and marketing an Angus calf. Sure. And, and you're absolutely right. Um, I think with the premium programs that they've set up, it really helps to offset that, um, you know, just that pound difference. But, you know, the other thing that I really like is that if you've built a really strong, you know, kind of genetic Angus herd, and that's based on carcass performance to some capacity, you're going to get paid. You know, they, they actually do a really good job, I'd say, of like making their premiums kind of specific to the quality that they're getting. And I really do feel like that program does help offset that. You know, and, and the nice thing is they'll buy these calves. You know, you can, you kind of have a, the same options you would in other programs where, you know, for us, you know, we'll, we'll back on those calves and then, you know, potentially grow them a little bit. And, you know, they let you as a producer kind of decide when's the right timing um, for you to, to sell those calves. And like I said, they've been great about, there's never been a problem, um, you know, with where those calves are going to go. And, and like I said, they very much are partners with you and really do work with you on the timing that, that works well for your operation. And, and I will say, I mean, you have to, you know, we um, have finished some cattle. They've finished some cattle with us at um, at our feed yard. And although those those wagus stay on feed and finish a little bit longer, I think the end result and what you get for those really, you know, it really makes up for um, just the difference in weight and time 
in that, you know, economically for us, this has been, you know, very competitive with, with, you know, our Angus program. Well, let's uh, let's get it out of that let's package. I tell you what, I, I I've been looking at these for a few days. They shipped some up just for this cooking <laughs> segment, and uh, uh, and the wind is blowing a, a little bit here in north central Montana. So we're going to stay inside the standard uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the welcoming committee, as we call it here yeah. in this part of the uh, the world. But uh, uh, I guess l let's get it out of pa the package. And, and the one and, thing I will say, you know, none of us being chefs. If we can make this <laughs> look right. and taste good, anybody can do this at home. And I know everybody has their different ways that they want to yeah. cook steak. We're going to keep it pretty, you know, down the middle of the lane here today. And uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Let's step back and watch the master work here. So well, the seal has a knife. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Probably cut myself. <laughs> So again, what I really like about these, I mean, you can tell just the marbling um, that you get on this, you know, kind of, and you'll see these look very different than just your stand, you know, if you get 100% pure Wagyu, you know, that necessarily, you know, has a marketplace, but I think just this very well marbled, um, but still very, you know, well, and just beef 101, Greg, I mean, yep. a lot of consumers out there, they might go to the meat case, obviously, and if they're not fully educated on buying a select, uh, a very nice cut of beef like this one, they're going to look at something like this and like, oh, that thing has just got a ton of fat in it. Yep. But to the contrary, I mean, that you want that marbling in something like this, correct? Correct. I mean, that fat is flavor, right? And you can yeah. see these kind of veins of that coming through there. And the, one of the interesting things that was new to me that I learned recently was the just genetically wise with that, with that Wagyu genetic addition is that, you know, the difference of the, of the saturated fats and things, um, you know, are more online with like a salmon or um, like an olive oil. And so, you know, I guess what they would call like more like your, your healthy fats and you actually get more of those. And again, I'm not a uh, nutritionist, I, but you can look some of this stuff up and it's just a pretty interesting thing, but no, you really want to see those. And that's how they grade, you know, anybody that isn't real familiar with grading carcasses, when you look at that, that ribeye cut, the marbling is what's going to determine the grading for the entire carcass. And so, you know, really that higher quality, you know, more premium beef that you're looking for has that marbling through it. And ultimately that is where you get a lot of flavor. It sure does. Didn't mean to interrupt no. your, your prep work here. So we're going to go ahead and just go right down the middle of the road here with salt and pepper. Um, I think the quality of this meat stay, really stands alone on itself. You don't need a lot of addition. So um, I like to do a good salt base here and you can really see it. That salt's going to kind of give you just a nice crust on the outside. And then same thing here. I like to do a, just a decent amount. You know, you don't have to get crazy, um, but you definitely want to get a good coating there on the outside. Some people like to put some olive oil or something um, on there. You know, you give it a pat and it'll stick pretty good. We'll do the same on the other side. A little better than MREs, aren't they? A little bit better than MREs, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The funny thing with MREs is that there's a whole trading aspect that some people aren't aware of where when I would open MRE, there'd be like almost this whole thing of what do you have? What do you have? And you try to piece together a better overall package. But if you got stuck with the, uh, the egg omelet, not a lot of people wanted to trade. You were in a tight spot. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> All right. So we got some salt and pepper going. 
And now we're going to take this and we're going to, we're going to do it like Lane said, we're going to cook it inside. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a healthy chunk of butter here and come into our hot pan, get that going. Now, some people add, you know, some, you know, herbs or whatever into this, which you can totally do if you're feeling that way. So what I like to do is I melt that butter down. And then once that pan's nice and hot, we're going to take this nice ribeye steak right here. And we're going to go into the pan. And we'll probably give that on a higher heat for about two to three minutes. Um, and then we'll kind of see how that's cooking. And your other option here is you can always sear that outside and then you could go into the oven with the whole pan and steak to reach that desired temperature. We're gonna go for a medium rare here today. I think that's a, a good place to be um, on these rib steaks and see how we do. It's already smelling delicious. Oh, butter, beef, nothing better. You had me at butter. That's right. <laughs> and then you really had me at pepper. Once you start getting, yeah. <laughs> So we've been here on this side for about three minutes. We'll go ahead and flip this over if I can get it. There we go. Oh, so you can nice see sear. we have a nice sear on there. That salt and pepper really makes a nice crust. And you can see that fat really starts to melt. As And it doesn't matter if you put this on the grill, if you put this on a Traeger, you know, you could, you could do it. You know, cast iron on the stovetop into the oven. You know, you can do a reverse sear. There's all sorts of ways you can do that that really gets that fat. And what I love about, you know, this Wagyu product is that fat really renders out and makes this just kind of really, really nice. And that might be one of those misconceptions, Greg, is a lot of people think, well, it's going to shrink up because it has so much marbling. That ribeye hasn't shrunk no, up hardly not at, at all. all. Same size. Nope. Nope. And just, again, making it, it's, it'll make you look good as a cook, you know, because the beef standalone on itself. There's not a, you don't have to get super fancy with it. You can, you know, make this for your buddies. And when they come over, they're going to think that you're, uh, you know, should be running your own cooking show. Well, a few more segments like this and you just might. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so. We'll see it. You haven't tasted it yet. That's the real key. Oh, there is no doubt in my mind. This is going to be delicious. I mean, it's got everything it needs, you know, like you said, salt and pepper, a little butter and yeah. meat that stands alone on its own through quality and can't go too wrong. Yeah. Plus the three of us and our photographer, Paul Humphrey. I mean, that's the other part of this. You have four eager and hungry <laughs> that's all it takes you know just, it's, it's, just it's, standing by yeah if people if you let them get hungry enough anything you make will taste uh, <laughs> halfway decent all right so we have both sides um seared up nice and like i said sometimes if you go a little bit longer on one side you have to, you know you just kind of gauge it we we're shooting for a nice medium rare so about 130 to 135 uh internal temperature and yeah, sometimes you can let these sit for a minute or just get right into them. See how we did. We should probably you... let it sit just a little just bit. Just a few minutes would probably not be a bad idea. The beef it's once for dinner kitchen, executive chefs always encourage you to <laughs> <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> let it rest. And while it's doing that, it's actually bringing some of those like juices and stuff back into it. And I think the biggest thing is if you're spending dollars on buying really premium cuts of beef, you want to do everything possible because us producers have done everything possible to get it to this point. And sometimes it's on you to get it to that point and do yourself a favor and, and you know, do it right because it's going to pay. Well, off. that brings up a good point. I mean, while we're waiting for that beef to rest just a few minutes, I mean, there are a tremendous amount of uh, resources out there for uh, new type chefs or 
you know, people that are wanting to do more at home in their own kitchens and, and prepare meals like this. And the one that comes to my mind is just your state beef council. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're here in Montana, but, you know, there's lots and lots of state beef councils across America that have specific resources like this and we were we've been mentioning turk stovall and you know for the past couple of years the montana beef council has Mm -hmm. uh done segments on how to cook beef correctly uh with turk um cowboy in the kitchen segments yeah uh, you can definitely visit their website at montanabeefcouncil.org for more information there and i think the cool thing is i mean a lot of these products you know these really high quality products were you know you would find them sometimes in stores and different things but they're readily available to just kind of your general consumer who really likes to cook, where now you can, you know, have your friends over to your house and have that, you know, real high quality steak experience just by the products that are now available uh, more widespread than they used to be. Well, let's cut. Let's do it. All right, well, let's cut into this. Uh, Our noses have really been enjoying this the last (laughs) few minutes, but again, this is... Uh, really one of those great products that we have here today, Mishima Reserve American Wagyu Beef, crossbred with uh, some high-quality Angus cattle. And look at that. Just, oh, I'm looking forward to this right now, I'm not now, even Russell. sure you need a knife. I Actually, this cut, this is cutting so, so well right now. The plate actually is inhibiting me more than anything, so... I had to bring up the, the big carving fork here for us, too, because it had to be official. Because, all righty. I think, guys, this is going to look so good. We'll just do a quick cut across there. If I would quit cutting the actual uh, knife or uh, fork, we'll just take quick bites out of this. And... Friends, uh, I really wish you could smell this, and I really wish you could taste it, but you can taste it if you uh, go check out Mishima Reserve online. Thanks, sir. There you go. All right. All right, let's see how we did. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Melts in your mouth. I'm not Mm -hmm. kidding you, right? It totally melts in your mouth. Perfect. Medium rare. Steak for us here. Ribeye. And like I said, uh, I have heard a lot of people say that that steak will shrink up just having a little bit of Wagyu. That it didn't. And you can see where, you know, <clears throat> like we were talking about with some of the marbling in there, you know, and like you said, oh, is that going to be this fattier cut? Well, you can see how all of that really, in just a short cook, you know, basically melts into that thing. And you can taste it when you're, when you're eating that. Well, as we kind of wrap things up here, Greg, uh, just... Remind folks at home, I mean, Lane has been mentioning it through the segment, but I mean, truly this is an opportunity for cattle producers, uh, not just here in Montana, but really uh, near and far. Other cattle producers can realize real you know, opportunities with their bottom line by introducing um, you know, Mishima Reserve Wagyu genetics into their program. And then on the flip side, consumers have a great eating opportunity just waiting for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, it's kind of a win-win, and um, I think there's a, a strong demand for, for these really high-quality cuts now, and I think Mishima Reserve is a great program that, you know, really, again, as a partner with the producer that is is there to help you be successful as you're helping them be successful, and like any good partnership, it's it's really got to be good for everybody, and really, I think, as we can all attest, the, the end consumer and the product that they're getting is is you know second to none 
Well, I can tell you firsthand, this was delicious. And again, a big thank you to our friends at Mishima Reserve for helping bring our pre-rodeo coverage to you uh, during the Montana Pro Rodeo Circuit Finals, but also just providing opportunities for producers out there to help uh, bring profitability back to the top of producers' minds because sustainability, it's not just environmental, it's also financial as well. And that's one of those big keywords we're talking yeah. about in agriculture. Yeah. And, and Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing part of your story. Uh, uh, thank you for your service. Absolutely. And, 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 uh, and good luck uh, yeah. in the years ahead. I know it's not easy jumping into agriculture, but uh, I follow you online. Follow Little Belt Cattle Company on Instagram. Great content. And uh, for those first-generation producers out there, I know Greg would be a great resource for you as well. And uh, with that, Greg, thanks for joining us here in my kitchen. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That was great. Again, such a great experience to have Greg here at the home place talking about his service as a, talking about it. Again, it was great having Greg here at my house talking about becoming a first generation rancher, his time as a Navy SEAL and what he's doing differently out in the countryside. We'll continue to catch up with Greg uh, throughout the coming years, no doubt. And I do want to add, yes, that was the audio from our cooking segment. That full cooking segment is available online at westernagnetwork.com or on the Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster Facebook page. I'll have links also below here in our podcast description. And I should mention that on February 22nd, 2023, there will be a producer spring seminar at the Midland Bull Test in Columbus, Montana for those producers that would maybe like to try out some Wagyu genetics just like Greg does in his first calf heifers and receive a little more of a premium on the beef that they are selling. More information can be found on that event coming up on February 22nd at mishimareserve.com slash production. I'm Lane Nordland. Thanks for joining us here on the Lane Cast Ag Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.